We're entering this exciting sermon series. I'm really excited about it. Pastor Trent is excited about it. We're going to talk about this simple phrase, did God really say that? It's kind of fitting for this season. As we watch the news, as we read articles, and some of you need to stop reading articles. But as you watch the news, you might ask yourself this simple question of, do I really believe that? Did they really say that? And suddenly we have this decision whether it's true or or false. It depends what our perspective is. Some of us, our perspective would be, I believe, or I don't believe, or there's a conspiracy happening. And for us, as we walk into this season, I think our faith can be rattled a little bit in that too. Did God really say that? And so we're going to walk through that. We're going to walk through four different perspectives, four different cultural belief systems that have kind of come out over the years. They almost become traditional statements that aren't necessarily found in the Bible, but we just believe them to be true. For example, in the the third week of this series, so three weeks from now, Trent is going to talk to us about what so many people believe is actually in the Bible, and it's not. People say this all the time, God will never give you more than what you can handle. Guess what? God never said that. One of the weeks, we're going to talk about a very dangerous cultural lie that many people believe. And it's simply this, that it doesn't matter what you do as long as you don't hurt anyone. Today, we're going to talk about this concept that's simply this. It doesn't matter what you believe about God as long as you're sincere in your belief about God. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you have a level of sincerity to it. So let's pray. And then we'll walk in this journey. God, thank you for being a God who speaks to us. May you speak boldly in the next few minutes. May it not be my words, but your words. We love what you're doing. We love the way that you're stirring our hearts. Continue to stir it. We ask all this in your name. Amen. You know, that that statement of at least we're sincere, it doesn't really matter what we believe, if we're just sincere, it sounds really good. It just kind of feels good that there's this God who's so big, so loving, that it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you give your life to something. Then the chances are you're going to be okay. I would call it this feel-good theology that many of us have let slip into our hearts and minds. It just feels good. It doesn't really matter what you believe in. All roads lead to God anyways. All religions are basically the same. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. What is incredibly interesting to me is that in our culture today, that there's this level of basic spirituality that's not controversial. It's not controversial to talk or believe about God, uh, believe in God. Watch any sporting event when they give away the championship trophy. Someone will say this, man, I just give God all the credit. Watch somebody at the end of an award show and they simply proclaim, 
well, I've got to first give God all the glory. Maybe if you watch somebody on a daytime talk show, they talk all day long about spirituality and this higher power, and there's no controversy at all. We're okay with that. But all of a sudden, when we bring up the name of Jesus, that's where there becomes an issue. The moment that I begin to talk about Jesus, that's when things get really interesting. And what is the most fascinating concept that runs with Jesus is almost no one debates the existence of Jesus. In fact, even those who are detractors aren't going to try to tell you that he didn't live. They're going to acknowledge all day long that Jesus was a real person. And beyond that, I don't know anyone who doesn't like his teaching. Help the poor, love others, be generous, forgive those who hurt you. His teaching is phenomenal. Even if you hate Christianity, it's virtually impossible to hate the, te the teaching of Jesus. It's really hard to question the power and beauty of his teaching. So why does everyone get upset? The answer falls basically in this little statement that Jesus makes these exclusive claims about how you enter into heaven. In fact, it's very direct in Scripture. In John 14, 6, when Thomas, one of his disciples, looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, where are you going? We don't even know where we're going. And Jesus answered him and said these profound words, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There it is. There's the statement that sets Jesus apart from all other world religions. It's the exclusive claim that Jesus is the way to the Father. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We have to acknowledge that no matter what you believe, there may be truth. There may be a lot of truth. There may be some truth. There may be beauty. There may even be some great beauty in other religions or other belief systems. If we look at all the different religions of the world, there can be some truth. There can be some beauty in those religions. But they're not the same. Christianity has a personal God exposed to us through the love of God's Son, Jesus. Jesus offers the forgiveness of sins. And it's not based on how good we are or what we practice religiously. It's based on God's goodness. So today, coming out of Easter, I want to do something for you that's very simple. As we walk in this, I hope at the end you can proclaim, I am a follower of Jesus, Matt. I'm simply asking you this morning to consider something really simple. Consider Jesus. In the midst of everything that's happening in our world today, I want you to consider Jesus. I want you to look at him. I want you to look at what he did. I'm not asking you to, to consider a Christian denomination. 
I'm going to argue that Jesus didn't come to start a religion. Jesus actually came to to reveal the love of God to a, a world that needed a Savior. Today, we have a world that needs a Savior. I'm not going to certainly ask you to consider the behaviors of those who call themselves Christians. Because if I can be real honest with you, you can meet two different Christians, and one of them you'll be like, wow, that person follows Jesus deeply. They're loving, they're genuine, they're full of grace and humility. And you think that's what Christianity is. And then there's a a person on the other side that you look at and you say, they're so narrow-minded, they're so judgmental, they're so hateful, they're so bigoted. So I'm not asking you to consider Christianity the religion. I'm not asking you to consider the behavior of those that are around you, that you look at on a regular basis. I'm not even asking you to consider Christianity by looking at me and going, boy, if I could just look like Matt. All I'm asking you to do this morning is just consider Jesus. Consider Jesus and then decide what you think is actually true about faith and eternal life. So we're going to walk through this. Here's the very first point we're going to talk about. Consider the ministry of Jesus. Mark chapter 2. Verse 16 and 17 says this, When the teachers of the law who were with Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. First of all, we see simply in verse 16 that when the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, these were the religious leaders of the day, when they saw Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he do this? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? No really righteous person would eat with that kind of person. They're too dirty They're too filthy. They're too full of sin. On hearing this, what did Jesus do? He said to them, and I love this with all my heart, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. He said, I've come not to call the righteous, but I came for sinners. Jesus came for people like you and me who just can't seem to get it right. I want you to continue to think about Jesus. To those he despised, he loved, and accepted. To those that were the outcasts, the ones that were thrown out, Jesus loved and reached out to them. When there was a woman who was caught in adultery, and all the religious people said, stone her, punish her. The law says she deserves death. Jesus looked at her and said, If there's anybody else who hasn't sinned, let them cast the first stone. And he continued by looking at the broken woman and he said, Go your way and don't sin. Stop. You are forgiven. You've got a new start. 
Maybe consider Jesus in this way. Jesus opened blind eyes. He healed deaf ears. He caused those who couldn't speak to speak. He touched lepers. Those that no one would go near. Jesus would touch them and heal them. Jesus turned water into wine. I know for us Baptists that might be too much. Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fishes. Jesus was constantly looking at people going, consider me. He walked on water, he raised the dead, and here's what's crazy. No one, none of his critics, argued that the miracles didn't happen. What they argued about was, Jesus, stop those things. I want you to consider the ministry of Jesus. In fact, the reality is some of you that are watching this morning, you are a miracle of Jesus. Miracles were about putting people back into their rightful place. Jesus wasn't about telling others about how amazing it was or how amazing Jesus was with what he did. Jesus came to, to make people feel included again, to belong. And guess what? Jesus is still in that business today. Consider the ministry and the power and the miracles of the one who didn't come for the righteous but came for the sinners he didn't come for the healthy he came for the sick i'm going to tell you right now i am a miracle from the power of jesus and so when i tell you today that i'm a new creation in christ here is what i need you to understand i am not a better version of my old self I am a new me. I'm a different person. The old is gone, the new has come. The very first thing that we need to consider coming out of Easter is consider the ministry of Jesus. Here's the second thing that I want you to wrestle through this morning. Consider the, the resurrection of Jesus. What a perfect tie into Easter. What you need to understand is that your God loves you. He hates sin. He can't tolerate sin. That's why he sent his son. That's why Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus didn't inherit the sin nature of an earthly father. He was without sin. That's why he could go to the cross for you. I don't want you to miss the power of this. On the cross, creation was mocking him. The creation was mocking the creator. At the moment when they had done their worst, when they beat him until he was unrecognizable, when they drove straight stakes through his wrists and through his heels, when they hung him on a cross that was designed for torture, Jesus looked up to God, his father, and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know, they don't understand what they're doing then he proclaimed those famous words it is finished into your hands i commit my spirit and the earth went dark the earth trembled the centurion the security guard who was carrying the cross of of jesus and was not a believer of jesus said surely that man was the son of god 
And three days later, and we celebrated this last Sunday, when the stone was rolled away, the tomb was empty. Jesus was not there. I love how Peter says it in Acts chapter 3, verse 15. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are all witnesses of this. This is so important because there's eyewitnesses that he was dead and is alive. Now skeptics and critics might say, well, the Roman soldiers probably stole the body. Listen, the enemies of Jesus would have loved to produce a dead body to prove that he had not risen. Some people may say that the disciples took the body. Watching the disciples, reading about the disciples, I'm not sure those 11 guys could overpower or outsmart the Roman soldiers. Do you really expect any rational person to believe that 11 small-town, uneducated guys who fought devised the most elaborate scheme in all of history? They pulled it off and then they kept it a secret? I don't think so. The tomb was empty. He was dead. He was not dead. He was alive again. What blows me away in all of this story is that there's one person who doubted. What was his name? Thomas. Doubting Thomas, some of us refer to him. Thomas, the guy that said, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. And Jesus shows up and says this in John chapter 20. Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Touch my sides. Stop doubting. It's me. The only one that doubted became one of the greatest influencers, the greatest evangelists in India. And when people asked him to renounce his faith in his Savior Jesus, Thomas the doubter said, I will never renounce my Savior. And so they drove a spear through his body. Why would he die for his faith when once he doubted? Because, friends, he saw the risen Christ. We are eyewitnesses of. He killed the Savior, but God raised him from the dead. Consider it. Don't consider Christians. Consider Jesus. Consider his ministry. He came for sinners. Consider the resurrection. There were eyewitnesses that were willing to die because Jesus had risen from the dead. And then here's the final one today. Consider the eternal message of Jesus. I love the way that Paul summarizes it in Romans chapter 3, verse 22. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. It says this, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. How are we made right? We're made right with God by believing, by having faith in Jesus, by putting our faith in the Son of God. This is crazy. This is so powerful. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. How are we made right with God? We're made right by placing our faith in Jesus. 
no matter what we've done, no matter how bad your life is, no matter what you do or don't do, you are made right because of Jesus. It doesn't matter how many sins you've committed. It doesn't matter how messed up your life is. It doesn't matter how angry, how bitter, how irregular your attendance is at church. Anyone, anyone, anyone who places their faith in Jesus will be made new. How are we made right with God? We're made right by believing in Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. You see, Christianity really is Christ plus nothing. Not Christ plus good works. Not Christ plus baptism. Not Christ plus church membership. Not Christ plus giving good money to the church. It's Christ plus nothing. It's not only not Christ plus nothing, but it's also not Christ plus getting rid of all your bad stuff and stopping saying bad things or stopping doing bad things. It's Christ plus nothing. In Christ alone, we have the hope of eternal life. In Christ alone, we're made alone. In Christ alone, we're forgiven of our sins. In Christ alone, the old is gone and the new has come. It is Christ alone. In Christ alone, we are made real. Religion is all about me, Matt. It's how I perform. It's what I do. It's, it's that statement, am, am I good enough? Is it, do I get rid of all the bad stuff? Religion is all about me. So today, I'm not talking religion. I'm talking about a relationship. Because Jesus didn't come for a religion. He came to show us the love of God. And while religion is about me, relationship is all about Jesus. It's all about him. Religion says, if I'm good enough, God will love me. If I obey, God will accept me. Relationship says, because God loves me, he accepts me. Because he accepts me, I choose to obey. It's not an effort to gain his love. It's a response that love is there all the time. You see, God doesn't love you because of what you do. God loves you because of who he is. Love is just not what he does, but love is who he is. And there's nothing you can do to get more of God's love. And there's nothing you can do to cause God not to love you more. God loves you because of who he is. Religion is about me. Relationship is about Jesus. Relationship, religion is about, am I good enough to actually have someone love me? Relationship is, because he is good, he already loves me. And religion is spelled D-O, do. It's about us doing, where relationship is spelled done. D-O-N-E. Once on the cross, Jesus said this, I have come to do what my Father sent me to do. It's finished. You may want to add something, but God already is saying it is done. You may want to try and be better, but God says it's already done. You may want to add good works, but God says it's already done. 
2,000 years ago, God became flesh and dwelt among us. He was without sin. He became sin and died on the cross. And on the third day, he rose again. When you believe in him, it doesn't matter who you are, how bad you've been, what you've done. Our God says, it is finished. It is done. God loves you so much that he finished his work on the cross. Now, some of you might say this, that, Matt, this is way too good to be true. I'm telling you, it's not too good to be true. Because no person would make up a God who would become one of us and die in our place. That's why it's called the gospel. And that's why it's good news. And Jesus said to you, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And our God says, it is done, it is finished. If you believe in Jesus, that it's done, it's settled, guess what? You become brand new. Not because you're good enough, but because our God is good. My prayer for us this week has been this. God, I know that it's often such a burden when we care for people that continue to reject you. We pray that we would reflect your love. That our people at Renfrew would never reflect a religion. That we would never reflect legalism. That we would never reflect a holier-than-thou-than-now attitude. But that simply, that we would reflect the love of Jesus. Let me pray for you. God, I... I pray for some of my friends that they have built a, a religion that's simply based on what they do and how hard they work. And they've always heard this message. It's been a message that hasn't changed for years. That there's a God who, who lavishes his love on his children. But in the back of our mind, we just hold this statement that I got to keep I got to keep working. I got to keep doing. May the shackles of a, of a religion fall from our arms and our legs this week. May we live in the freedom that only comes from you. That as we look backwards, back at Easter, we see a, a tomb that's empty. We see a risen Christ. We see a a Christ who proclaimed, it's finished, it's done. May that be the message that rings true for my friends, especially in a world that desperately needs it. God, many of us this week, we don't feel like we have freedom. We feel like we're stuck. May you give us the eyes to see what you're calling us to in this season. God, may we look at this season where we're in a pandemic and actually be evangelists and missionaries to a world that desperately needs it. May we be hope givers. We love and adore you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us online today. We're not done yet. There's a couple things that we need to do as we wrap up this service. For some of you, you need to move your relationship with Jesus from a religion to a relationship. And so I need you to, 
to join me in, in prayer in a minute and we're going to just change the dynamic of our relationship. It's time for you to live in freedom. For some of you, you've gotten really nice and comfortable at home. You're getting into the routine of church online. But I need you to respond to this, uh, this message that we had this morning. And the, the response is with what that song we just sang. Yes, I will. It's easy for us to just have an inward focus during this season. To just be concerned about just us and our family. Almost like survival of the fittest. I've got enough toilet paper. I've got enough stuff. I can make it. And I believe God's calling us to open our eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Ask for workers. Ask for people to go into the fields and proclaim this message that the God we serve isn't a God who is interested in a religion, but interested in a relationship. And if that's you, I need you to stand up in your home, just between you and God, to go, yes, I will, God. Let me pray. God, for those ones that were the first group that I talked to, God, we just need to go back to the basics of just simply saying to you that, God, we believe that you're the Lord of our life. God, we believe that you died and rose again. God, we believe that you will forgive us our sins. That we accept the free gift that you're giving to us, God. The gift of eternal acceptance, eternal life. And God, we, we want to serve you in this world. Not with a, a set of right behaviors, but because we love you. And because you've lavished your love on us. And God, for the second group of my friends that are standing in their homes, God, may this be a sign that, that this pandemic is not going to render the gospel useless. That you're still calling people to yourself. And God, may we be agents of restoration to a world that has lost hope, that, to a world that needs us. God, we love you. We are excited for the opportunities that you're going to give us this week. Help us not lose sight of those opportunities. God, we love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.